Welcome to episode number 19 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're looking to create a worldwide community focused on workplace safety and industries handling combustible dust and powdered materials. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and today we're doing an interview with Courtney Turner, president of Process Risk Solutions out of Birmingham, Alabama. Courtney has an extensive background in combustible dust safety, in explosion protection, explosion prevention, and as a safety manager in sugar processing and tea and coffee processing operations. Courtney shares with us some of the history of combustible dust safety in these areas um, at a time when the United States went through the Imperial Sugar Refinery explosions, some of the lessons learned, and he talks about how his facilities actually changed some of their processes, or, or many of their processes actually, before and after the Occupational Health and Safety National Emphasis Program, and then from learning from this incident. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Courtney because he shares a lot of his background now, about combustible safety, but also this this unique perspective, having come into it out of out of necessity at a time when we really started to understand more about the the hazards involved with these materials. So Courtney talks about what health and safety managers sh- should know today in these industries. He talks about what some of the critical aspects of combustible safety are, some of the critical elements of process safety in general, like management of change, like the safety management system overall. And he gets into some of the heart of what some of the biggest and outstanding issues are in combustible safety. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. And I know you'll enjoy today's episode with Courtney. Welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. In today's episode, we have an interview with Courtney Turner, president of Process Risk Solutions out of Birmingham, Alabama. Courtney has extensive background in combustible dust safety. He served prior to Process Risk Solutions as team leader for a combustible dust consulting organization. Um, and then prior to that, as safety manager for a large sugar, uh, sugar manufacturing operation and subsequently for a tea and coffee manufacturing operation. Um, between kind of 2007 through to 2014. So I was introduced to Courtney through a mutual friend, Kevin Jeffries. And what I really liked through my my conversations we've had over the phone and just talking about combustible dust issues is that he, he actually has a really unique perspective. Because he did so many years as a health and safety manager, as a safety manager in combustible dust handling industries, and at such a kind of critical time in the United States for these industries, He's, he has a lot of background. So that's what I want to get on the show to share with him today. Courtney, maybe the, the best kind of jumping in place would just be for you to share some of your background as a safety manager in, say, a, a sugar manufacturing operation and, and the tea and coffee manufacturing. Okay, great. Well, um, I started in the sugar industry in 2007 as a safety manager for a large operation in uh, South Florida. And um, at that particular time, um, you know, in the, the portion of 2007 in which I started, combustible dust was not very high on our radar. Um, however, in the latter part of 20, uh, 2007, I believe it was in October of 07, OSHA initially re- released their national emphasis program on combustible dust. And I caught wind of it actually as soon as they released it. And so at that time, I reached out to our plant management to inform them of that national emphasis program. and. Also to inform them of the fact that we would definitely fall within that, that the scope of the program. And so we began uh, different efforts at um, that particular time to help identify some of our hazard areas that we may have in regard to combustible dust. And um, not too long after that, you know, we had the Imperial Sugar uh, Refinery explosion in February of t- 2008. So the NEP was released initially in October of 2007. And then the Imperial Sugar explosion was in... February of 2008, 
And after the Imperial Sugar Explosion, OSHA reissued the National Emphasis Program on Combustible Dust in March of 2008. And not too long after it was reissued, we received a knock on our door from OSHA. Obviously, it was a program inspection under the National Emphasis Program. And I think uh, once they were in our facility, we spent about six months with OSHA. And uh, at that particular time, we were learning, as well as the compliance officers, we were learning uh, side by side, basically more about the hazards of combustible dust and how to help mitigate those hazards. And over the course of the next, you know, say two to three years, uh, we spent a few million dollars in upgrading our facilities and mitigating some of that, those combustible dust hazards. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, it gives a good perspective because we, well, I say we pretty generally, but myself included have come in kind of later than that. Um, so we read the CSB reports and we've heard the recommendations and we've seen the NAP come out and OSHA going about potentially releasing general standard and then that, that not going through. But somebody who's seen it from before and after, that's a really great perspective. I think one of the, one of the big things is what were, what were some of the areas that you guys were focused on after you, know, you went from where you were before in 2006, say, to, to 2009, 2010? What fixes were put in place? In doing an analysis of our facilities, and when I say our facilities, we had a sugar refinery, we had a sugar mill, a sugar packaging operations with about, I think at the time, maybe 10 to 12 lines. And um, upon doing what was considered at that time a process hazard analysis, we found that we had a lot of issues, and a lot of scary issues. In our packaging department, we had a drop ceiling in some areas that had, you know, up to a foot of dust uh, sitting above our packaging lines. You know, some of our horizontal uh, beams, a lot of accumulation of dust. Um, we had a, a hammer mill or two uh, where we realized we had a lot of issues uh, in terms of uh, fugitive dust. And uh, aside from fugitive dust and looking at our uh, overall protection from an isolation standpoint, we didn't have any isolation. Uh, we didn't have proper venting. We didn't have any suppression. Uh, those are the types of things that were identified during our you know, hazard analysis at the time. And uh, subsequent uh, mitigation efforts were focused around removing the drop ceiling completely from our packaging department, protecting our, our equipment and collectors via suppression systems, which at that time was, it was Finwall. We brought a third party in, and I can't remember if it was Chilworth or I think it was Chilworth at the time, uh, but we brought a third party in, had them uh, conduct an analysis for us as well. And, um, you know, we, we, there were a lot of efforts in terms of deflagration venting, uh, suppression, and, and like I say, just housekeeping and overall uh, combustible dust uh, procedures and programs that we had to implement from a training standpoint. Uh, hot work, HASCOM, things of all, it was not HASCOM at the time. It was, well, I guess it was HASCOM. So there were a number of um, administrative as well as engineering aspects that we had to improve upon when it came to that facility. Certainly. And there's a, there's a lot in there kind of, so I'll, I'll take the three big chunks. One is, is what, with what we know now, that's pretty scary sounding mm -hmm. <laughs> um, with what we saw with Imperial Sugar Refinery, which the, the listeners, we covered Imperial Sugar Refinery in episode three of the podcast at dustsafetyscience.com slash three. And, and what happened there, which I, I don't, I'm sure I don't need to tell Cordy what happened, but I'll, I'll reiterate for the, the listeners. Underneath their sugar silos, they had a blockage which led to a, an explosion inside a newly enclosed conveying system um, that blew up the wall to a stairwell into the packing facility, disturbed a lot of fugitive dust, ruptured the floors, three or six inch concrete floors, which then obviously the next floor up and the next floor up keep, kept contributing combustible dust. So 
a lot of things that that Courtney's mentioning were were involved in that and just in how it wasn't isolated that it went from primary to secondary and they had explosions for up to 15 minutes which is which is really scary so that's kind of the first point is that that, that is scary is what we know today but on the the other side to see the extent that that your group went through to do it right and actually it sounds like you guys started that before even you know before imperial sugar happened you started pointing some of those those issues out and then after but it's, it's a big undertaking and a big project to do that i'm sure right it is it is it, so it takes a lot of resources a lot of manpower and a lot of patience <laughs> sure with uh people and processes i i i'd imagine it does. And, and, and one, one critical factor I will say is, and one thing we had to learn as well, and I guess, you know, in, in manufacturing in general, when you look at your risks and your hazards, uh, you know, prioritizing what you want to tackle first is sometimes difficult. You know, what's most important when you look at the finances behind it, when you look at the, um, the, the potential for a catastrophic uh, event, uh, what's most important at this particular time? What should we address now? And what can wait, say, three months from now? So we had to figure that out as well. That's an excellent point. And do you have any suggestions on a how you you did that at the time, but even b how companies should be looking to do that today? Well, at at, at the very uh, at the base of it, you want to look at you know obviously what is, what what can we do today that's not going to cost a lot of money. And when we look at that, you know, housekeeping is critical when it comes to combustible dust. Uh, administrative programs are fairly simple and fairly easy to to change to write. You know, and then from there, I would go to what can be a, what can cause a catastrophic event. Is it going to be this particular ignition source, or you know, um, you know, when I say ignition source, do we have embers? Do we have static electricity? So when and when you think about the combustible dust, and you look at the, the the five aspects of it, and you consider the fire triangle as well, you have the oxidizing uh, medium or oxygen, you have your fuel source, and you have your ignition source. Okay, on your fire triangle. When it comes to combustible dust, you add confinement and you add suspension to that. You know, in prioritizing your your efforts, you want to kind of focus on one aspect of that particular, I say, triangle. You know, because we talk about combustible dust, but you know, you, we have to consider flash fires as well, because that's a realistic uh, event when you when talking about uh, combustible dust. So, are we going to focus on the fuel source? You know, and focusing on the fuel source, that's the housekeeping. Are we going to focus on the ignition source? What can we do to help reduce that ignition source or eliminate the ignition source? And uh, thirdly, can we inert a certain part of the process? You know, and that inert, inerting is, is, re, is removing the oxygen, okay, from that, that, that particular, um, from, the, from the triangle, I guess you can say. You know, and looking at prioritizing, that's the kind of, I guess, and, and, get, and getting your thoughts together and, and kind of uh, starting that prioritization, that's what we started to think about. How can we eliminate uh, one of these factors, if not all of them? Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I was just, you almost started to answer and I was going to, the question I was going to ask, but you didn't quite go all the way, so maybe I will. Mm-hmm. To organize this information, even in a, in a broader sense for a safety management system, what kind of documentation should be there and... And what does that whole process look like from logistics side? Uh, could you be and when, you, when you're when you're talking about logistics? What exactly do you mean there? Like just actually documenting of equipment that you may have, or the explosion protection solutions that you're putting on, prevention programs. Okay. Um, or even down to training and and communication. Is there a is there a specific approach people should be using? 
Um, well, that's where you get into your dust hazard analysis uh, at the very, you know, to, to start uh, what's considered a dust hazard analysis now, you know, to kind of help. And when I when I say when I talk to people about dust hazard analysis, basically you're doing a gap analysis of where you are when it, when it comes to your combustible dust program versus where you should be based upon, you know, from the sake of this conversation, your NFPA standards. And what and then what can we do to bridge that gap? And so you start with your dust hazard analysis and looking at that, you know, we're going to look at your preventative maintenance programs and looking at your preventative maintenance programs. We're focusing on the dust or the, the dry part of your process. OK, so hopefully we have a list of equipment already. All right. And looking at that list of equipment, you know, what current safeguards do we have on that particular on those particular pieces of equipment? And uh, once we identify those safeguards or lack thereof, okay, we can, we, can, we can move further along and decide on whether or not we need to add more safeguards or do we need to change this. And when looking at your, your written programs and your safety management system, you know, uh, the focus is on whether or not combustible dust is a part of your um, safety management programs. Is it included in your hot work program? Is it included in your HASCOM program? Is it included in your emergency action plan? And starting there, you can move forward from that point. Um, also, which is a really critical factor in talking about uh, written programs and, and even um, the physical process itself is your management of change program. You know, when you think about management of change, it's really big in process safety management, uh, PSM. Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's one of the requisites as well as uh, when you think about a combustible dust program now. Change this particular equipment with either uh, in kind or uh, something brand new, or change a particular part of a process. Are we documenting uh, this particular change or this introduction of this new piece of equipment? And so, those are some ways you can kind of help uh, keep up with what you're doing to improve or uh, eliminate your hazards. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And I, I kind of want to go back to something you mentioned with the sugar refiner you're working with, you said that you did a, a PHA, a process hazard analysis. And I, I do get questions quite a bit about the difference between a, a PHA and a, and a dust hazard analysis. Um, is it just a, you know, is it just a PhD, a PHA with a, with a D instead of the P or is there actually differences there? And, and could you talk about that a little bit? Well, there are actually differences, and, and without going too deep into the, the, the PHA aspect, um, a, a reason why uh, we went from PHA to DHA was to kind of help simplify uh, the approach when looking at the, the, the dry part of the process, the process that involves your dust. Um, when thinking about PHA, PHA, you know, has been a longstanding uh, analysis that you find in process safety management, and it's very formalized. And what I mean by that, um, you have different ways of conducting what's called a process hazard analysis. You have a what if, um, you can do a checklist, you can do a, a fault tree analysis, a HAZOP, failure mode, and effects analysis. So there are a number of different ways you can do a process hazard analysis. Uh, when, in, when you think about combustible dust, you don't necessarily have to go as in-depth, I guess you can say, with a lack of better words, there's more of a prescriptive approach to a, uh, uh, to a dust hazard analysis to help simplify it. Right. And so when conducting that DHA, you know, I like to tell people, and even Kevin Jefferson and I, we have this conversation all the time, a lot of aspects of a PHA can be included in what's considered a DHA. Like we both love the what if analysis uh, because that will get you all the way down to your, the root of your problem. So, you know, again, on a high level, a DHA is just a simplified form, in my opinion, of a, of a PHA. 
or is more prescriptive. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it. And I think we've we've had a couple episodes now, episode seven with uh, Dr. Shok Dasadar, episode number twelve with Jason Reason, that both have touched on on DHAs. And then I, w- I wasn't really planning on getting into it in this this episode, but Courtney's background is is so is so great that I want to get his take on it as well because I think it's really helpful. So I I guess a good place to jump off from there is we talked about site-specific safety programs. We talked about what things look like prior to Imperial Sugar refinery explosion and then some of the things that, that need to be considered after that. What do you see as some of the biggest um, difficulties and outstanding challenges that we have in combustible dust safety? In recent years, I would see there's still been a lack of knowledge. Um, as recent as, you know, this year, you still have a number of facilities, a number of operations, a number of management personnel who are not um, knowledgeable enough of the combustible dust hazard to truly make it a primary focus. Still having to educate companies on the hazards of combustible dust and why it needs to be addressed. And, you know, using, unfortunately, some of the explosions that have occurred over the past decade or two decades as a, um, you know, an eye-opener, I guess you could say. Um, you know, why do I need to have my dust tested when I have, um, you know, resources that, that are already telling me that, you know, this is, I have the same type of dust or uh, why must I have, you know, a qualified, what is a qualified person? Um, so there are a number of aspects from a, from an education standpoint that we're finding that, you know, we're, we're still having to uh, help companies, uh, help teach company management, I guess, about combustible dust hazard. Yeah. And that, that goes along the lines of, of what we've heard other guests talk about as well. It's just this, it's lack of, awareness in some cases, lack of knowledge in some cases. In some cases, it's just, I'll say apathy, but that kind of has a negative connotation to it. But what, what apathy really means, I, I believe, is if you just see, if you see a fire and you see another fire and you see another fire or a, a small explosion that doesn't cause any, any injury, eventually you become kind of numb to it, right? Just like that. Mm-hmm. We have a, a five-month-old at home here. So if you see a toy on the ground and, and it's there and you're like, I should really pick that up. And then a week later, you know, I should pick that up. And after some time passes, then you no longer even see it until you, you trip over it, until you fall down the stairs. Exactly. It's interesting you say that. I, I had a facility manager maybe two years ago uh, tell me I was going in to conduct a dust hazard analysis and, and talking to some of the personnel there. And, you know, they have a, a huge industrial oven and um, particular product that they were running through the oven caught fire on a regular basis. And one operator actually told me, you know, Courtney, we have a fire every Tuesday. Yeah, that's our lunch. That's our extended lunch break. Right. And I said, how long has that been going on? I said, that's, that's how we've, that's how it's been operating for a while now. And I'm like, and I, I, I thought to myself, you know, who thinks that this is okay? Because it's not, you know, obviously there's an issue here. So again, it's, it's, it's that lack of knowledge, that apathy. And I will say this as well, having seen it from both sides, we all know that manufacturing and, and production is driven by dollar. You know, we don't want to slow down production. We don't want to spend this kind of money. Uh, but I could tell people you don't want to wait until you have a heart attack before you check your cholesterol. Or you don't want to wait until you have diabetes before you check your blood sugar. Well, let's go ahead and attack it now on the front end. Um, and, and, you know, you'll save a lot more money on the front end by attacking it than on the back end by having a, a catastrophic fire or, or explosion or something of that nature. Yeah, certainly. And it I think there's a quote by, I'm probably going to misquote it, and I think it's attributed to Trevor Kletz, but I think it's, if you if you think safety is expensive, you should try having an accident. Exactly. <laughs> and even beyond that, if you 
if you think of it up front and try to put into the design of your your facility, which isn't always possible, but for new builds, that right up front, it can be quite a bit cheaper than if you're trying to retrofit everything in and come up with a, an existing installation. That's what I've been told in the past anyway. Oh, it is. It's very much so, very much so. And we, you know, we work with companies and, and, and on their, what was considered maybe a design review or, or basis of design where we look at drawings and, and we, like you said, we, we take uh, what we're putting in on the front end so that we don't have to worry about retrofitting later on. That's a great point. So, Courtney, I really appreciate taking the time to do this interview. And I, the amount of, of knowledge transferred in this short 25 minutes is, is immense. It's very helpful. I forgot to mention um, at the introduction, but Courtney is, is a member of the Technical Committee for NFP61 and Agricultural Dust. And he also does a lot of speaking. So he, he speaks at American Society for Safety Professionals. On many other conferences, I, I've seen them at Powder and Bulk Solids, at the International Powder Show. Do you have, I didn't ask you this beforehand, so you may not have any coming up, but do you have any events that you'll be speaking at or anywhere where people could find you? At the present time, I don't. My focus has been uh, on dust hazard analyses. And we're, 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 I think there are a lot of companies who are trying to uh, get everything done by 2020. And so um, I've been busy on the road trying to you know, help different companies, but uh, I might try to get some, some speaking engagements in here later this year at some point. It's been busy, I'm sure, with Process Risk Solutions and trying to hit that 2020 deadline for DHA and companies. Um, we will have Courtney's contact information in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 19 in this episode. Uh, so if you want to connect with him and, and learn more about his processes, the work that he does, and how he can help your facility be safer in the handling of the, the powders and materials you're working with, definitely reach out to them there. I just want to say thank you again, Courtney, and I look forward to the chance to get you back on the show at a later date. Most certainly, and I appreciate you, Chris. Thank you very much, and thank you for the work that you do. Uh, I appreciate that. That was an information-packed episode with Courtney Turner. As I mentioned at the, the end of the episode, if you are interested in any of the topics that he covered or connecting with Courtney specifically, you can do so in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 19 for this episode. You can also visit some of the other previous episodes that we mentioned that covered uh, similar topics such as dust hazard analysis in episode 7 with Dr. Shok Dastadar um, and in episode 12 with Jason Reason and then some of the previous information that we put through the podcast. If you have any comments or questions about this episode, you can leave them in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 19. And if you are interested in helping our work, you can go to iTunes and rate and review the episode. Um, if you give us a high rating, then we'll, it'll help us find more people or more people find us in the podcast. And as always, I hope you have a, a safe week ahead, and I appreciate you listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast.